ब्रह्मानंदम परमसुखादम केवलम ज्ञानमूर्तिम दंडवातीतम गगनसद्रिशम तत्त्वमस्यादिलक्षम I bow to that infinite Guru who is Brahma, Shiva, Vishnu, all. I bow to him in you. God is infinite. There are many qualities that we need to find God. One of them is stick-to-itiveness, as they say in English. I'd like to read a saying of Yogananda's. It is number 226. Jerry Torgerson said to the master, I'm sorry I'm so stubborn, master. That's all right, the master assured him, answered him reassuringly, I attract stubborn people. It wasn't stubbornness he minded. What he warned against was stubbornness in rejecting wise guidance. Otherwise, he actually approved of stubbornness, especially if it meant steadfastness in one's quest for God. He didn't want goody-goody disciples. Yes, men, who answered with a limp, limp smile and said, Yes, Master, I understand, then did nothing. He preferred people who questions, who even held back until they'd really taken a teaching to heart, so long as eventually they took it to heart. This is a very important point, because firmness on the path is essential. So many people object to the idea of having a guru because they mistakenly believe that it means to be a yes man. That wasn't the way he taught us at all. Rather, he would put things in such a way as to challenge us, almost to tempt us to say the opposite. And uh, in that way, we developed our strength. He himself also, I have to say, was a stubborn disciple. But he was always stubborn in what he understood to be the truth. And in this way also the Master wanted us. But you know, when I first met him, first of all, he gave me his unconditional love. Then he asked me to give him, me, give him my unconditional love. I did. But he said, and unconditional obedience. And that was one I was not quite sure of. Certainly I came to him to be a disciple. Certainly I believed in what he would be teaching me. But after all, mistakes can be made. I said to him, I wanted to be honest. I was, I must say, I was absolutely desperate to be accepted by him as a disciple, but still I wanted to be honest. And I said, well, sir, what if sometime I think you're wrong? And he said, I will never ask anything of you that God doesn't ask me to tell you. Well, with that condition, what could I say? Of course I said yes. And I found that he never asked for any kind of personal bias or desire. He always thought entirely in terms of my good, of what was right for me. Still, it wasn't always easy because sometimes he went against what I thought was right. And I had to tussle, that one, tussle with that one a little bit, but I realized that after all, I had come to him for guidance. And when I followed my own way, I was, um, it was an embarrassing thing because I was... Um, I'd made such a mess of my own life. By mess, I don't mean that I was a depraved uh, wine-bibber and whatever, nothing like that. But I hadn't found the happiness that I wanted. I was still confused. 
and nothing that I worked really seemed to give me what I wanted. It seemed like the goal was always just a little bit beyond uh, the horizon. And so I said, yes, I will give you that. And sometimes my will rebelled. Sometimes I think, well, this doesn't make sense. I found that he was right. One of the things that I, I found difficult to take from him was that I had been over-intellectual. And I assumed that in order to become uh, developed, uh, to develop devotion, that what I would need was to give up in the intellect and just concentrate on heart quality. And he wasn't very long. I'd only been with him a few months when he wanted me to study deeply. In fact, he had me read all his lessons. Usually people read them once a week for three and a half, four years. And he had me um, writing articles for the magazine. And I sort of rebelled at all this at first mentally. And then I accepted, well, he knows what's best. And it was only, he didn't explain. You see, he wasn't like <coughs> the average counselor who sits you down on a sofa and says, now listen, the reason I'm doing this for you, and he explains it at length. No, he didn't give you reasons. You had to figure it out. But that way you grew. And those who didn't figure it out and didn't, didn't uh, accept and rebelled, um, they went away and they lost. But I discovered in time that, of course, he would not want me to starve what I had. He would want me to develop another quality that would complement that without depriving that. And he didn't want to, as the expression is, rob Peter to pay Paul. So he wanted me to have a keen mind but he also wanted me to have great love. And in this way, I found, of course, he was right. Well, this was one, uh, one example only. But again and again, I found, because I really did sincerely try to follow what he said, try to do what he, he uh, wanted of me, I did find in time that he was always right. It was amazing how um, deeply he saw into my own character, into my needs, more deeply than I. He said to me once, I know every thought you think. Amazing statement, but I found it to be proved again and again. Things I would say at a distance, things I would only think in my own mind, in my meditation, wherever. He would answer in such a way that I, I knew he was talking to that particular thing. Sometimes he would outright um, correct me in things that I had said because he wanted me to teach other people. And so in my way of teaching people, for instance, there was a very uh, intellectual, scientific kind of person and very uh, skeptical. I'm sure he was an atheist. And I tried to convince him by mentioning a small miracle that my guru had performed. My guru later said, when you're talking to skeptics, don't talk about miracles. They don't understand these things. And I said, you knew? He said, yes, I know every thought you think. Well, with somebody who knows you that intimately, it's like God himself. He knows every thought you think. But with that, yes, it's easy to, not so easy necessarily, but you know that it's right in the fitness of things to develop your own um, discrimination best is to submit 
to his wisdom, to submit to his guidance. Nonetheless, stubbornness is a very important point, and it's something that I have certainly discovered in my life, that I have had to stick to my guns, no matter what the opposed things were. There's a, a couple of women at Mount Washington where, in the monastery where I lived for many years, and uh, if they were thinking of going out downtown, and they would come out of their room and trip over a carpet a little bit, just turn the carpet over at a corner, they would take that as a sign that God didn't want them to go downtown and they'd cancel the idea. Well, that's not following guidance. There have been so many times in my life that I found that um, I was opposed by everybody. Everybody thought I was wrong to do what I was doing. Everybody told me, you'll fail, you can't possibly succeed. I had so many obstacles to it. And I stuck in there, stubbornly you might say, because I felt in my heart it was right. You have to choose your guidance. And once you've chosen it, you have to stay with it. Boy, I remember when I was starting Ananda, it was no easy thing because, uh, you know, I've never been into making money. I came to him at the age of 22 and was a monk from then on. But even before that, I never was interested in money. And uh, when I had to build Ananda, the first community, I had to think all the time of earning money to pay the carpenters, pay the plumbers, pay this person, pay that person. And my only way of doing that was in giving classes. And I gave a class in a different city every, every evening. It was, it was not so easy. Well, one day I got a letter from the lawyer saying that if I didn't pay uh, one company, the building uh, supply company, right away, everything we owed them, they would foreclose on us. Well, I went, I phoned the owner of the lumber company and I, the housing supply company. I said, listen, we have an agreement and I've been honoring that agreement. I'm paying you a certain amount every month. He said, yes, uh, you know, but we have to be practical. It means be greedy. That's not being practical. And so I went to the lawyer. I said, but we have an agreement. He said, show it to me in writing, very angrily, as if I was a fool. Well, we didn't have it in writing. I thought the man would honor his agreement, even though it was only verbal. But uh, so I asked, well, how long will it take to foreclose on this, this property? And he said, well, it would take another two months for the courts to hear the case and another week or two for the trial to go through and whatever, then we would foreclose. So I figured, well, that gave me a little bit of grace. I didn't know what to do. That next day, I had to show slides. I was scheduled to show slides at a private home in the town of Palo Alto in California. And it was about, uh, it was of slides I had taken when I was in India. And it didn't seem the appropriate occasion to be talking about my problems with the property I was developing in California, so I didn't say anything. But at the end of the slideshow, and when I was leaving, a young man came out, and he'd evidently heard about my difficulties from some other source. And he said that, uh, I, I like what you're doing. Do you accept donations? Well, I said, yes. 
everything I had was really donations in a sense. I was just giving it to develop this land so that people would be able to live there. And I expected him to give me a check for five, I mean, a bill, five dollars, ten dollars, something like that, minimal. He stooped over the hood of my card and wrote a check for three thousand dollars. Well, with that, I telephoned the building supply lumber company. I said, I have the money now, but I'm not going to pay you. I'll let you incur all the legal fees you can, and then, at the last minute, I'll come in with his money and pay it off. He said, oh, well, if you can pay it, I'll give you a, if you pay it now, I'll give you a big discount. So I was learning their ways. That's not my way, but I figured you have to fight fire with fire. And uh, if they consider it practically greedy, at least I can use that, that greed against them. And so he dug a ditch for me and fell into it himself. But the fact is that God did help me out. And I remember my bank account at the end of that month after paying off the lumber company, I think I had a dollar and 32 cents left in the bank account. But I managed again, as God had shown me again and again, that he takes care of those who love him. He will take care of you if you, if you live for him and if you, what you do is for him. I remember in a television program some years later, the interviewer was asking me, was talking to me how I had built Ananda, how I'd been able to succeed. And he said, but you know, you have to be practical. And I was talking about how God had taken care of this and God had done that. And, and uh, that's when he made, threw that challenge at me. I said, well, I know that. And I have been practical in my way. I have done all the things that one needs to do. But I have found something much more important. And that is that faith is the most practical thing of all. And indeed, if you are stubborn to your beliefs, if you hold firmly to what you believe in, you will see that if that belief is centered in God, if what you are doing is to please Him and not to please yourself, if you are trying to, to uh, serve His work, you will see that He does take care of you. I've seen that again and again. My goodness, when we had that forest fire, 25 years ago, or whenever it was, 1976. And it looked as if we would fail. 21 of our 22 homes were burned to the ground. 450 acres of our 750 were completely destroyed by fire. We had no insurance. It looked as if we couldn't possibly succeed. But somehow God pulled us through because we believed in Him. Be stubborn in the right cause. Be stubborn to what you believe. Don't listen to other people. They mean well, but they don't give you always good advice. Be stubborn to your faith in God. And you will see that if you go on alone in that spirit, God will take care of you. You are his child. Why shouldn't he? God is not just remote. He is in your own heart. He listens to you. He hears you. And if you talk to him consciously, deliberately, sharing with him every thought, every need, you will see that his love is there. He will take care of you.
joy to you. Walk like a man, even though you walk alone. Why court approval once the road is known? Let come who will, but if they all turn home, the goal still awaits you. Seek free.